this. We've been looking forward to this and announcing this for a while, and uh, glad that it's uh, finally here, and we're looking forward to seeing what God is going to uh, teach us and, and do uh, throughout the course of today and tomorrow. Um, the idea of worship and witness, uh, you may think that's unique for a missions conference, but actually they're very inter- intricately intertwined. That uh, You cannot have true witness without a heart of worship, and it's actually the act of spreading the gospel of, of being a witness that produces more and more worship. And so uh, these two are very closely connected. And so today, the focus for our uh, 4 o'clock session and our 6 o'clock session is going to be on the topic of worship. Uh, we're honored to have uh, Chris Anderson with us for today and tomorrow. And uh, as we've been announcing, and I'm sure you're aware, well aware, he's, he's very closely involved in both. Um, he's written... Uh, many hymns that, that we've come to, to know and appreciate here in our church and many other churches, not just in America, but around the, around the world. And, uh, and he's also very heavily involved in missions and has a burden to see the gospel spread uh, around the globe. And so he's very, I think, u- uniquely uh, qualified to, to speak on both of these topics. And as I mentioned today, the focus is going to be the worship of the church. How are we as a church uh, going to be um, directing our worship to the Lord in a God-honoring way? Um, and uh, if you, I hope you noticed as you walked in that we have a table out there. He brought some resources um, to sell, and I uh, would encourage you to walk by there and take a look at those. He'll, he'll give more details to some of those uh, resources in a bit, but uh, I, a couple that I spotted. Um, number one, uh, Theology That Sticks. I'm sure he'll talk more about that. It's about, uh, about um, worship that's, that's God-honoring in the church. Also, I saw one for Gospel Meditation on, in the Psalms, and uh, we're going through the Psalms, so if you want a good complimentary resource uh, for our Wednesday evening study, that might be good to pick up, and a lot of other things for you to, to look at at that table, but I'll let him uh, share some more details uh, about those. We're excited that you're here. We're really uh, this side heavy, which is fine, you know, but, uh, you know, we all got our seats, right? Actually, we're all kind of mixed up a little bit, yeah, okay. <laughs> Sarasky's are in their spot, they're good. <laughs> But we're glad to see you here. And uh, after the session here uh, from 4 to 5, we will have dinner over in the Fellowship Hall. We have some Mima's barbecue. And uh, I'm trying to see how many we have registered versus how many we have. And so far, we might have some extras. So dig in. But uh, that'll be at the 5 o'clock hour. And then we'll come back here at 6 o'clock for our final session. Uh, one note, parents, if you have kids in... Uh, uh, child care, pick them up after this session and bring them with you to dinner, all right, so that our nursery workers can eat as well. I'm going to go ahead and open us with a word of prayer, and then I'll turn it over to Brother Chris and uh, let him take it from there. So let's uh, open our missions conference with prayer. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here. We thank you so much for the privilege it is to uh, be your gospel witnesses here in Palm Bay and around the world, and I pray that you would use this weekend to stir our hearts Stir our hearts toward worship and stir our hearts toward our witness that we would um, have a passion to see your gospel spread uh, to those around us. pray you'd uh, be with Brother Chris and give him uh, wisdom and guidance as he speaks to us and that he be used by you to edify and strengthen us as believers. We thank you for this time. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Aaron. Um... I mentioned that Aaron and Paul kind of inherited me as a speaker. Uh, Caleb had set this up uh, before the Lord called him somewhere else, and they could have canceled. Uh, but now if it goes poorly, they can blame somebody else. So uh, really good to be here. I've looked forward to it. Uh, as your pastor mentioned, um, the, the twin themes of worship and witness are really kind of in my wheelhouse. Um, I, I love uh, Christian music in particular. And uh, this afternoon, we're going to start by talking about Christian music. Now, you understand worship is a lot bigger than Christian music. Uh, Some people, especially in the church today, they talk about, you know, we're we're looking for a church where we enjoy the worship. And uh, that's backwards on many levels. You don't do worship. uh, You you don't worship the Lord primarily for your own benefit. Uh, It is a benefit. It's a delight. But that's kind of a secondary. You know, we we worship God because he's worthy of worship. And uh, we give him glory. And usually what they mean is they're looking for a church with a you know, good praise band or something. And, 
and they equate uh, music and worship. Well, music is part of worship, but worship is a lot bigger than that. You know, it includes everything that we do when we gather together. It, in fact, uh, it's not only our praying, our giving, our singing, uh, but even reading scripture and listening to preaching is worship. Uh, it might be kind of the height of worship to sit under the word of God and, and pay attention to what he said. That ascribes worth to him. And then, of course, we worship just in all of life. We present our bodies as living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to God. So, um, so I want to say today what we're talking about is music in the church, uh, but I'm well aware that, that the theme of worship is, is much larger than that. That said, I love Christian music. Uh, I grew up in a family where uh, my mom's a pianist, my mom and dad are singers, and um, we grew up just, just knowing all kinds of Christian music. Uh, I knew uh, Patch the Pirate music. I knew, I knew Salty the hymnal. Did anybody, do you know Salty the hymnal? And um, uh, Maranatha music was coming out with their praise choruses. And then, uh, you know, Majesty music has their take. And then old hymns and new hymns and um, and then there was, you know, a little bit of Gaither mixed in. And I, I just, a very eclectic experience of Christian music. Uh, probably my, my heroes, as far as hymn writers, uh, my favorites are, are dead men. Um, Isaac Watts and uh, Charles Wesley. Uh, but there's a lot of good hymns being written in our day. Um, somebody came to me one time. They were being very complimentary, they thought, and they said, uh, Chris, thank you for writing hymns. Uh, we appreciate all your hymns, but by far the best one you wrote, by far, way better than the other ones, is in Christ alone. And I said, well, thank you so much. I didn't write that one. Uh, I, th- I thought about just rolling with I said, you know, I also did a really good job in Amazing Grace. Uh, <laughs> It was, it was just a comical moment. This was so much better than the others, and probably not mistaken, uh, but I didn't write that one. Uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy writing. I'm, I'm a communicator, so I, I preach and I write. And um, I'm working now with biblical ministries worldwide, and most of the mission's focus is going to come tomorrow. Uh, during the Bible study hour, I'm going to be sharing kind of what God's called me to do and how I transitioned. I pastored for 25 years, and then uh, a year and a half ago transitioned out of pastoral ministry, and I'm doing uh, missions promotion, missions recruiting. I'm, I'm a missions agitator. Uh, I can't call people to missions, but I sure can remind them what the Bible says about it and how urgent it is. So uh, we're going to do most of that tomorrow. Today will be a little bit more on the music and the worship side. And uh, that portion of my ministry, uh, we have a, a publishing organization called Church Works Media. Uh, we publish hymns and some books and the gospel meditation devotionals. And again, those are available. Uh, Tony is helping out to sell those. And um, if you could use those, there are some books. Uh, I, I tell people, I'll take a sermon and then repackage it. If I can make it rhyme, it will be a hymn. If I can't make it rhyme, I'll turn it into a, a devotional uh, or a book or something. Um, if those could be a help to you, then they're all available out there. Tony is uh, manning the table for me. He's agreed Anything he doesn't sell, he will just buy the rest. So no pressure whatsoever. Uh, don't worry about that. I, <laughs> I do appreciate his help on that. Um, what we're focusing on today is a book I wrote, wrote in the last couple of years, and actually was my dissertation. It's called Theology That Sticks, The Life-Changing Power of Exceptional Hymns. And when I say exceptional hymns, I don't just mean old hymns. I mean, it might be new hymns. Uh, but what is it that makes a hymn really worthwhile? Uh, somebody looked at that cover and they said, oh, I thought it said theology that stinks. Um, that will be the sequel. <laughs> there are plenty of songs we could probably fit into that category. Uh, but now this one is, uh, it's on the power of music. And I have gone out of my way to try to speak about Christian music in a non-combative way. Um, for a lot of people, the topic of music in the church is, is more a call to arms than a call to prayer. You know, oh, we're talking about Christian music. Let's, let's get ready to rumble. Um, it, it shouldn't be that way. If there's any topic that should bring the church together, it's the worship of God. Um, if there's any topic that should 
unite our hearts in humility and gratitude and adoration. We kind of get our eyes off of ourselves and, and our uh, preferences and frustrations and criticisms and, and put it Godward. Uh, the topic of worship should not primarily inspire criticism, uh, frustration. I, um, in, all, in all my research, I would go to, uh, to Christian books on music, and many of them were kind of more heat than light. They're very, you know, let's criticize everybody else, and, uh, and not always helpful. And then um, I would go and listen to sermons on the topic of worship. There's a sermon, uh, uh, a site that collects millions of sermons called sermonaudio.com. And I would look under the theme of worship, and it was kind of disheartening how many of, uh, how many of the sermons on worship were kind of exposés of what people are doing wrong instead of, let's just focus on the grandeur of God. You know, in Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He is holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah didn't, didn't congratulate himself and start criticizing other people. When he saw the holiness of God, what did he say? Woe is me. I mean, I, I'm undone. I'm, I'm unclean. The people I live with are unclean. I need, to be, I need to be cleansed. And, you know, God, could you use me? Here am I. I'll, I'll serve you. Uh, worship should have uh, a humbling effect on us. It shouldn't move us to be ready to, you know, put up your dukes and let's, let's fight over our prefer, preference of music. Uh, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. But I'm saying, uh, I think, for many, especially in conservative churches like, like most of us have been in for much of our lives, uh, it can especially be that way, that, that music is a topic that we're ready to, to fight about. And today, I'd like to encourage you to approach the topic uh, with more of, of enthusiasm and, and wonder and enjoyment that God has given us uh, the gift of music for His glory, but also for our uh, encouragement, our edification. I say that music is the soundtrack of our lives. If you're noticing, I did use the Ohio State colors on that slide, so uh, <laughs> go Buckeyes. Um, music's the soundtrack of life. How many of you, you're regularly listening to music? I mean, not just in the church, but in the car, in the home. Um, some of you just like, yeah, music's not, not my thing. For most of us, we're, at some point, you know, we're, we're reminded about music and, and it affects us. It affects our mood. You listen to, to kind of morose music and it can kind of puts you in a morose mood. Um, you listen to, you know, marching band music and it, it just affects you. Um, it's the soundtrack of life. I listen to music all the time. Uh, when I exercise, uh, which is, you know, not as frequently as it ought to be, but if I listen to a sermon or an audiobook, I run slow. If I listen to music, I still run slow, uh, <laughs> but I enjoy it more. Uh, I remember getting in the car with my youngest daughter. She was four or five years old. As soon as we got in the car, I started, you know, my playlist. And from the back seat, she innocently says, Daddy, when Mommy drives me somewhere, she doesn't listen to music. She talks to me. And I was convicted. I turned off the radio and we talked. But I, I just surround myself with music all the time. Um, but it's not just the soundtrack of life. It's, it's powerful. Music is more powerful than, than you might uh, be aware. And I'd like to kind of uh, work through that idea today. How many of you have been in a grocery store or Walmart and a song comes on that you haven't heard for 40 years and, and you're singing the whole thing. You know, the, the words are in your head. That's why, that's why I talk about hymns as theology that sticks. Uh, it sticks in your memory. Okay, you remember songs in a way that you don't remember, you know, a book you read or a sermon you've heard. Uh, it sticks with you and it shapes you. There's a guy that writes on art and Christian art in particular. His name is Jeremy Begbie. He says, in short, we do not simply make music. To some extent, music makes us. Okay, I'm, I'm saying that music really affects not only your mood, but it affects your thinking. And it, it can affect your doctrine. Um, there, are, there are hymns that by singing the hymn and learning the lyrics, you're actually learning some really good doctrine. And there are hymns that you listen to and you could be learning some bad doctrine. 
but it matters a lot. And I, I often will talk to church leaders about, you know, how can you leverage music more effectively in your church? And today I realize, you know, most of you don't get to choose the hymns you sing as a church. Okay, you, you get to criticize them after church. I'm just joking. Um, you know, most of you aren't part of that process. No, but you're, you're still choosing music that you listen to. And parents, you're choosing music that your children listen to. And, you know, you can choose fun music. Uh, it doesn't always have to be sacred music. But you have a chance with your children to teach them words that will feed their souls for the rest of their lives. You know, they can, uh, even in children's ministry, you know, it's fun to sing Father Abraham, um, but I've never had somebody on their deathbed request that I sing Father Abraham with them. <laughs> you know, you, you can sing silly songs, um, the Lord's Army, so it's fine, but, but you can also start teaching children uh, through church or, or as you sit around the table, maybe you have a hymn that, hey, before we, before we eat our meal tonight, we're going to sing instead of offering a prayer. My kids loved that. They, they kind of felt like we were getting away with something, you know? So we're gonna sing a, a prayer tonight. And we would sing like, thank you, Lord, uh, by Pastor Pirate. Or, you know, we would teach them just little by little, we'd teach them hymns that we want them to know. You wanna teach your children songs that when they go through deep waters in the future, they have them to kind of buoy their souls to encourage them. Uh, songs for their darkest days, songs about the greatness of God. And uh, there was somebody that in Britain, they had a program of hymns and whether or not they believed the theology, it was you know, part of their culture. And, and the producer of that said, hymns are like spiritual time bombs for children. You know, they're memorizing these words and they don't even get them yet. You know, as a kid, I would, I would get all these hymns wrong. Uh, you guys sing the song, Be Thou Exalted. I sang, I sang Be Thou Exhausted, you know, like, like God was worn out. I, I didn't know what I was saying. I had a niece, we were singing uh, Jesus, Name Above All Names. Do you know that little chorus? And she would be very intense, you know, pain, look on her face. Jesus, name of the ball game. <laughs> you know, like sometimes they just don't get it. They, they mess up the words. I used to sing, great is my faithfulness. Oh, well, that is not true. But even though they're not comprehending it yet, they're memorizing words, eventually they'll get the words right. And there's going to be a time maybe in their teen years where, oh, that's what that hymn means. And, and they realize it and, and it encourages them. Think of it this way, the, the sticking power of hymns. Have you ever seen someone who has dementia and uh, it's so sad, they don't recognize their spouse or they don't recognize their children. They you know, they're so foggy, you start singing a hymn and the clouds part and, and they are clear as could be. Um, you have the hymnal published by Majesty Music. Ron Hamilton was that way. He, uh, his dementia progressed to such a degree that he didn't recognize uh, his loved ones, but they would pl play music in the background and he would be singing and directing. He'd know every word. Music's just powerful that way. Well, let me give you some examples of, of how powerful it is. Uh, this is a famous uh, man from English and American church history. Anybody know who this is? Anyone? This is John Wesley. Uh, John Wesley preached to millions of people uh, around the time of the Revolutionary War. So he's preaching in England, then he pre preached in the colonial United States. He was used of God with, with others like George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, to bring about the Great Awakening. Uh, so he preached to millions of people. He didn't have, you know, easy transportation. He didn't have anything to, um, for his voice to be projected. Um, so John Wesley, one of the most important preachers in English history. Somebody quote for me your favorite paragraph from a John Wesley sermon. What do you got? Anybody? Nothing. He once did a sermon saying, um, proving biblically, you should earn all you can, spend all, uh, save all you can, and give away all you can. Oh, very good. So you, you remember at least the main points. Yeah. 
All right, usually nobody has anything unless they did their doctrine in church history with a focus on John Wesley. We, we don't remember sermons that way. Let me make it easier for you. Quote your favorite several sentences from one of Pastor Aaron's sermons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's not fair. It's not fair because sermons don't generally work that way. Okay, now, John had a little brother named Chuck, uh, Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley was also a preacher, but he's primarily remembered as a hymn writer. Tell me some of your favorite lines memorized from Charles Wesley. No using your hymnals. Well, let me help you. Sing with me. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior? How'd you do that? We didn't even practice. All right, we could do another verse. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. All right, not everybody has it. Uh, but for many, it's there. Uh, this one's a little bit easier. Christ the Lord is risen today. Christ the Lord is risen today. Ah, the hallelujah you have down. There's a video of Mr. Bean in church, and he's singing a hymn, and he's looking at the guy's hymnal, and the guy keeps hiding the hymnal. Uh, but every second line is hallelujah. So he kind of goes, hallelujah. All right. Well, we, we recognize these. Arise, my soul, arise might not be as familiar, but this might be my favorite hymn. Um, arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. And it goes on to talk about how Jesus is interceding for us. You know, five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayer. It's beautiful. We should know it better. We know this one. Uh, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He prisoner free. Yeah. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avail for me. All right, that comes from 04,000 tongues to sing which makes me laugh because I have one tongue and it is plenty. You know, it gets me in a lot of trouble. I don't need a thousand. But it's an expressive way of saying God deserves more worship than I could possibly give him. All right, there are more. Jesus, lover of my soul. Rejoice, the Lord is king. The last one I put is hark the herald angels sing. And even unsaved people know that one. You know, I, I have the line, Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. That, that is sound theology. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man, with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. That, I mean, you might not find a better verse in all of hymnody than that. It's sound theology. Now, when you sing in church, how many songs do you sing a week? What do you think? Tomorrow morning, how many songs will we sing in the morning service? Four or five. How many hymns do you think are available to us? How many could we choose from? Well, you have people like... Fanny Crosby wrote like 8,000. I think Charles Wesley wrote 10,000. I mean, there are thousands and thousands. There's hundreds of thousands of hymns you could sing. You get to choose five. So, so choose carefully if you choose. Uh, Paul, you get the privilege, I imagine. <laughs> choose wisely. But the same thing, the music you listen to in the car, there's so many beautiful and deep and meaningful things available you don't want to just choose something because, oh, it has a fun tune, or, oh, I like the beat, or I like the sound, or it's new on the radio. There's, there's churches that just sing something because it's, it's popular on the radio, and now we're going to sing it. And, uh, you know, some, sometimes there's a new song that we should sing, but 
I was in church and we were singing a song that was new and popular. And uh, I don't know who vetted the songs, but as we're singing, there's a line in the song speaking to God. It says, as you speak, a hundred billion creatures hear your voice evolving at the sound of your command. And I thought, I'm standing in church singing a song about evolution. That's theology that stinks, all right? Uh, I was going to name the book, Don't Sing Dumb Stuff. Um, we, we need to, to do better. And so much in the music discussion is, is kind of arbitrary. It's our opinion. But remember, we're people of the book, right? We need to come to our conclusions not based on, you know, arguments like, you know, well, rock music kills plants. I'm not sure it does, and we're not plants. So, you know, let, that's not the best argument. We don't want to just look at sociology. or We want to look at Scripture. Well, Scripture tells us what to sing um, in a couple passages, but especially Colossians 3.16. And uh, I put it up. If you'd like to uh, look in your Bible, you can. Um, I memorized it in Awana, I think. So uh, King James, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, singing uh, with gratefulness in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16 commands us to sing. Actually, the command to sing is the most frequent command in Scripture. And uh, in part, that's probably because in the Psalms, it just like, you know, lists three times in a row, sing to the Lord, sing, sing to the Lord, sing into his name. But the command to sing is the most frequent in Scripture. Um, some of you love music. And some of you just, eh, it's not my thing. Okay, but even if it's not your thing, it is part of your worship to the Lord. You're commanded to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And, and actually, this verse doesn't only command us to sing. It tells us what to sing, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And it tells us to whom we sing. We sing to the Lord, so that's worship. But we also sing in a way that is teaching one another. There's such teaching power in, in the songs that we use. Again, not only in church, but in your home, in your car, in your earbuds. Music is such a powerful teaching tool. Uh, Martin Luther, in fact, you know, he's, he's credited with beginning the Protestant Reformation. But there's two really significant things that he did besides his teaching on justification by faith, not by works. Uh, his opposition to Roman Catholicism and the Pope. He gave the Germans the Bible in German. They didn't have the scriptures. And he said, we're going to take the scriptures and instead of using it Latin that nobody understands, I'm going to translate the Bible into German. And in God's providence, it was around the time of the Gutenberg printing press and translating the Bible into the language of normal people. Same thing in English. Uh, it just, you know, it just took off. The word of God's powerful. It changed lives. But the other thing he did is he gave hymns back to the congregation. When he was a monk in the Catholic Church, a priest in the Catholic Church, um, the only people that sang were the clergy. So you would come to church and listen to professional singers. Sounds a lot like a lot of churches today. You know, it's just a different kind of music and light shows and fog and but, but it's an audience watching. And not only did you listen to priests or clerics sing, but they sang in Latin, so you didn't know what they were singing anyway. It's like the teacher from uh, Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. You know, that, that's not moving. It didn't teach me anything. So you're listening in Latin. You're not singing yourself. And studying scripture, Luther said, I'm going to give people back hymns. So he would write or translate songs into German and he would teach people to sing them. And here was the idea. Even people that, that, you know, once he translated the Bible, not everybody could afford it and not everybody could read. Oh, but everybody could sing. So they would sing songs in church and memorize truth. And then they would go work on their farm and as they're in their fields, they're singing songs, and it's transformative. 
Okay, what Colossians says is the word of Christ dwells in you. We haven't even talked about music yet. The word dwells in you so much that it comes out of you in your conversation, but it also comes out in your singing. So we're people of the book, and as we study the book, it comes out in our songs. And so I'm going to give you a grid, and and we'll probably move fairly quickly, uh, just so we can finish this one by dinner time. I don't want to stand between Southerners and barbecue. Um, So we start with this. Our songs should be biblical. All right, it's not... These are not, you know, ideas I'm making up. The text says, the word dwells in you, and then we speak to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, For those who are curious, you know, what's the difference between psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Well, um, commentators say the the terms are probably a little bit elastic. There's probably some overlap, but um, I'll give you the first one I'm, I'm certain about. Do you know what psalms are? They're psalms. I went to seminary to learn that. Psalms are psalms. The Bible commands us to sing psalms. And we're not very good at it. You know, I I say my favorite hymn writers are Watts and Wesley. Who could possibly be better? I don't know, the Holy Spirit. He gave us an inspired hymnal. The psalms are 150 songs and here we're commanded to sing them. I believe this so, uh, so fervently. I think if a church is not intentionally singing psalms on occasion, I'm not saying only psalms, but if you're not singing psalms on purpose, then we're not obeying this command. Okay, we're supposed to sing psalms. Once in a while we can sing like a praise chorus, you know, and it's, uh, I don't know, this is the day or... Uh, something like that, but they usually take a snippet of a psalm. A psalter actually lets you sing the whole psalm, and um, there are some available that actually makes it much easier to sing. Old psalters sound like they were written by Yoda. You know, <laughs> the language is all inverted and hard. It's just hard to understand. Uh, a friend of mine that I pastor with in Ohio uh, would take psalms. And, and metricize them, make them rhyme and get the right meter. And then he would use existing hymn tunes so you can sing uh, an entire psalm. Like you put, you put his version next to a psalm, you're going to see line by line. It, you're singing the Bible and you can do it without having to learn a new tune. Um, there's probably a dozen or 10, 10 at least available on ChurchWorks Media, our website. Uh, they're free. And we don't sell them. You just download them, print them, put them on your screen. We need to sing the Psalms. And there's other resources like that. Um, Psalms and hymns. Hymns are, you might want to write this down. Hymns are not Psalms. Amazing. I know. Uh, Hymns are something different. I would say they're Psalm-like, but they're they're not inspired. Okay, so there's still songs that are exalting the Lord, but they're not part of Scripture. Um, I think it's got to be awkward for, you know, in history, there were people like Calvin would only sing psalms. Okay, but the scripture says to sing psalms and other kinds of songs. So hymns, we might sing something that glorifies God like immortal, invisible, God only wise. That's not a psalm, but it's, it's full of doctrine. It's giving glory to God. And then spiritual songs, uh, my understanding of them, they're, they're not carnal songs, they're, they're spiritual and they're probably more kind of a testimony. Like when we sing gospel songs, uh, Fanny Crosby type songs about how we've been saved, that's probably a spiritual song. It's not a hymn, holy, holy, holy. It's I have a song I love to sing since I have been redeemed. Or Ron Hamilton, oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes. You know, that's probably not a hymn in the sense of its tight theological doctrine. Uh, like holy, holy, holy might be, but it's it's a song of testimony uh, to God. Just you know, God, you've walked with me. Uh, I, I can rejoice in you even on my hard days. So there's different kinds of songs, but they all should be biblical. Okay, that's that's the first grid. Is our song should be biblical? Let the word dwell in you, and then sing about it. Okay, and and the funny thing is, it's a cycle. As you sing the word, it helps the word dwell in you. And then you sing it, and then it helps it dwell in you. We want to be people of the book. So 
some quotations on this. Uh, I gathered just an enormous number of quotations in the studying because people said it better than I could at the time. Uh, Music and worship is one of God's best tools for getting the word into our hearts. Theologian John Frame. Our services should not separate singing from the word, but the church should hear the word through singing. That's Matt Boswell. He's a, a modern hymn writer and a pastor. I would put it this way. There are churches that would never tolerate error from the pulpit. If I got up and and preached on evolution, they would have a fit. But we sang a song about evolution, and uh, it's just a song. But as we've said, like, no, psalms actually are more memorable, and and we we need to treat them, treat our, our music ministry as a teaching ministry of the church, and moms and dads use music as part of your Bible teaching in your home. Uh, we want to teach songs that are biblical. I tell aspiring hymn writers, you know, how, how, do you, how do you get started? How about you open the Bible and plagiarize? You know, if you're trying to write a new hymn, just quote the Bible. You're, and I actually try to write songs uh, or choose songs that they're not just generally Christian-ish. I love to sing a line of a song and know where in the Bible it came from. All right, for example, we sang a while ago, no condemnation now I dread. Where did that come from? That's Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Um, or when we, we sing a song and it comes to, you know, it is finished, and it uses that line, then, then we're thinking of that passage. Okay, I, I love to just know I'm singing Bible language, not just general ideas. Second one, and y'all, we have to go more quickly. Uh, You're slowing me down. I'm just joking. It's all on me. It's a monologue. Uh, Our songs should be doctrinal. And uh, there's overlap. But we're not just singing um, general songs from Scripture or about Scripture. We want to sing sound doctrine. And, you know, does your church, I'll find out tomorrow, but are you all going to quote uh, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Bob Jones' Creed? <laughs> no, we, we typically don't quote doctrinal statements. Okay, your church has a doctrinal statement. Somebody quote it for me. What do you got? No? No, but, but we, do, we do sing our creeds. We do sing what we believe in our hymns. And... It would be interesting to put your doctrinal statement next to your hymnal and say, what songs are we singing about, you know, theology proper, about who God is? What songs are we singing about the scriptures? What songs are we singing about Christ, about the Holy Spirit, you know, about the church, about things to come? And we should be singing songs that are doctrinal. J.I. Packer, now with the Lord, he said, it's been truly said, if you want to survey the full substance of the church's faith, you should go to its hymns. What we really care about, we sing about. Uh, but there are doctrines that we, you know, we never mention in song. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you an awkward one. We, we never mention hell in our songs. And part of that is we think our songs have to be happy and positive. But Scripture, there are songs in Scripture in the Psalms and Exodus and Revelation where they're, they're praising God for bringing judgment and that has to be done with caution. You know, we're, we're not taking delight in, in the loss of the wicked, but there are times that at least we need to acknowledge that hell exists. Uh, I wrote a missions hymn called For the Sake of His Name, and uh, I think it makes some people a little bit queasy, uh, but there's a line that says, um, rescue the lost for the sake of his name. As Christ commands, snatch them out of the flame. Okay, so it's, it's mentioning hell, but it's not mentioning it in gory detail. You know, but, but we should be singing what we believe because in time we will believe what we sing. Uh, Gordon Fee says, show me a church's songs, I'll show you their theology. Here's the thing. The songs you sing and listen to don't only reflect your theology, they shape your theology. Okay, they actually start to affect what you believe. Uh, there have been a lot of songs lately that talk about how um, on the cross, like in Christ alone, there's a line, 
See if you can finish it with me. On the cross as Jesus died, what's the next line? The wrath of God was satisfied. That is good doctrine. That's the doctrine of propitiation. That he didn't just die to show us his love. He died under the penalty of God to satisfy God's wrath. Uh, The PCUSA, the Presbyterian Church in the USA, it's a liberal denomination. Uh, They were putting together a hymnal. They wanted to use that song. They wanted to use In Christ Alone, but they didn't like that line. So they came to the Gettys and they said, we'd like to use the song, but we want it to say, uh, in our hymnal, it'll say, for on the cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. It rhymes. It has the right number of syllables. It's even true. But thankfully, the Getty said, yeah, but that's not what we wrote. We wrote what we believe is the key to the crucifixion of Christ, that Christ satisfied the wrath of God. And if you don't want to print it that way, then you're not going to use our song. You know, praise the Lord that they weren't for sale. Uh, but that's, that's doctrinal teaching. Okay, so the best hymns aren't just, hey, let me just see if I can, you know, place together several, several rhymes. Um, I thank you, Jesus, for your love. Help me. What's the next line? It came to me from above. There's a future for you. Um, I'll sing to you every day as you show me your way. Wow, voila. All right, but, but we don't want to sing songs that are just kind of trite and thoughtless and we got some rhymes and no, we want to sing, we want to sing deep theology. Okay, we want to sing things that matter. I'm going to use an example. Do you, do you use the song, He Will Hold Me Fast? All right, this is an old text that few people knew because it didn't have a good tune. Matt Merker uh, wrote a beautiful tune. It's kind of like a, a lot of people find it like a security blanket. You know, like life is hard and this song just helps me cope. You know, just, oh, thank the Lord he holds me. He wrote this final verse. Let's sing this together. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to side. When he comes at last. And then it's going to go on and say, he will hold me fast. Okay, by the way. We love to critique songs for being uh, full of repetition. There was a lot of repetition in there. And yet it's very meaningful. There's a lot of repetition in it is well. It is well. It is well. With my soul. With my soul. It is well. It is well. With my soul. We don't complain about that because it's meaningful. You know, so, so the Psalms repeat. If... If the critiques you use for modern worship songs could be used against the Psalms, they're probably not good critiques. Uh, You know, an intentional repetition is fine. But do you know what you just sang? For my life he bled and died. That's the substitutionary atonement. He didn't just die. He died for my life, in my place. The vicarious atonement. And then justice has been satisfied. What's that? We just talked about propitiation. God's wrath was satisfied, was absorbed. God has no wrath left for me because Jesus took all of it. Raised with him to endless life. What's that? What's that? You're looking at eternity, endless life. Okay, raised with him. You're looking at the resurrection. I don't know, but you're not just talking about Jesus' resurrection. You're talking about our resurrection with him, Romans 6. So, you actually have union with Christ. You have regeneration that he's given you life. Uh, the last line, till our faith is turned to sight. When he comes at last, you're talking about heaven, the second coming. In, in basically four lines, you know, separated by he will hold me fast, you've just sang a lot of theology. So when I say we should, we should 
listen to and sing songs like that that are doctrinal. That's what I mean. Okay, now we could also sing like, everybody join me. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Where? Are you? Use it for VBS. You know, the devil can sit on attack. It's fine. But do you see the difference between, you know, this modern hymn written in the last, say, 10, 15 years, but it is full of theology. And it's beautiful. It's so beautiful, you didn't even know you were singing all that theology. Now that, that brings us to a point. How can you, I know you don't choose the hymns in your church, but how can you improve how they affect you? You think. You know, try it. Next time you sing, actually think. And, and say like, why did he use that word? Don't just sing meaningless rhymes, but you kind of lean in and say, what part of the Bible did that come from? Oh, we just sang about Jesus' atonement and resurrection and our union with him. Just engage your brain and, and sing with understanding. Um, I don't know if you do this, Paul. I'm going to put pressure on you. Our church started to be very intentional about the songs we would sing. We try to arrange them thematically. So we would sing like, instead of just on, you know, we're singing all songs in the key of G or, you know, whatever. We'd say, let's sing songs on redemption. It might be redeemed how I love to proclaim it. There is a redeemer. And then it might not use the word redeemed, but it has like Jesus paid it all. And, and we're singing on a theme. The scripture reading for that day would be on the theme. And even the prayer would kind of rejoice in that theme. So it's just on purpose. And, um, we began to, on Friday, we would send out an email and just say, here's the order of service so you can kind of be thinking ahead of time. We're going to be studying this topic. Here's a passage to read. And people, you know, not most, but some people would arrive on Sunday. They've already been kind of giving some thought to that and preparing their hearts. Think. All right, a little bit more quickly now. Our song should be Christian. Back in Colossians 3.16, Quote it with me uh, if you can or read it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's called the word of Christ. I think there's two places in Scripture that, that that phrase is used to describe the word of God. We're not just singing the word of God. And he didn't just choose the word of Christ as a synonym you know, to, to be creative. We're singing the word of Christ. This book is about him. It's about Father, Son, and Spirit. But Jesus would say, hey, you, you study the prophets and, you know, the, the law, the prophets, it, it's about me, Jesus would say. So the word of Christ dwells in you richly and you sing about that. So our song should be distinctly Christian. So Christian that, that an unbeliever can't sing it in good conscience. Like the example of the PCUSA, they couldn't sing in Christ alone. All right, I, I want songs that robust. Um, in, in Christian publishing, you know, you've reached big time. If, if your hymn is recorded by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, that is, that's cool. I want to write songs they can't sing. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be arrogant or schismatic, but, but the Jesus I believe in is distinctly different than the one they believe in. So I want to portray him as the only son of God who died for our sins, who rose again. And um, Bob Coughlin, a modern hymn writer that served the church well, he says, if most of our songs could be sung by Buddhists, Muslims, or Hindus, it's time to change our repertoire. Okay, I'm going to risk making you angry. Um, Let me say ahead of time, I love this song. I love it. But it's not overtly Christian. You go to a movie, somebody died, you know, Peter Parker's uncle, whatever. <laughs> They're going to be at a funeral. What color is everybody wearing? Black. What color are the cars? What color are the umbrellas? Because it's raining, obviously. It's a funeral. And then at the end of the scene, they're going to play a song on bagpipes. What are they, what are they going to play? They're going to play Amazing Grace. And pardon me when I see that. Truly, you'll see it at a country concert. You'll see it. It was in one of the, the Star Trek movies. I, I think Scotty played it on the bagpipes in a Star Trek movie. Why? 
Well, in part because it's not overtly Christian. It is. He saved a wretch like me, amazing grace, you know, but it never says something like, on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They're not going to put that in a movie. I mean, you're not going to go to a movie, a Marvel movie, and they play in Christ alone. It's not going to happen. Amazing Grace is kind of just the, the generic hymn of, Christ, uh, of, of America. You don't have to be a Christian to believe in grace. What do we mean? I have second chances. You know, redeem yourself. Amazing Grace is never overtly Christian, so the world's okay with it. They're not going to sing something like He Will Hold Me Fast or O Sacred Head Now Wounded or Hallelujah, What a Savior. So I'm not telling you not to sing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace is beautiful, beautiful, because we know what the author meant and we supply when we say he saved a wretch like me, he saved a wretch like me from my sin by dying in my place on the cross and rising again. But we supply that. But I would say after you sing um, Amazing Grace, then sing a new song like All I Have is Christ or sing an old song uh, like Jesus, Lover of My Soul or And Can It Be that is explicit in its mention of Christianity. And, And it is true. I think this is especially true of modern songs. There are songs that if you're thinking about God, it could be a hymn to God. But if you're thinking about somebody's best friend or boyfriend, it could be about them. You know, there are songs that are kind of written with an intentional nebulousness. And let's, let's not sing those. Or let's not focus on those. Okay, there, there are other great songs that don't mention Jesus. Um, like a River Glorious doesn't. It mentions Jehovah. That's very specific. Uh, great is thy faithfulness is awesome. Doesn't mention Jesus. It's Okay. But we, we definitely want to be focusing on those that mention Jesus by name. All right, we're about out of time. Let me hurry with a couple more things. Our song should also be Trinitarian. Carl Truman says that you know, not every song we sing has to be Trinitarian, but we need more. Um, in our text, if we were to look back at Colossians 3, and then the, the companion passage is Ephesians 5.19, and it tells us to, to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to the Lord. Instead of saying the word of Christ dwells in us richly, it says we should be, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we sing Christian songs. We should be singing to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Um, I wrote a hymn years ago called A Triune Prayer. And uh, did you see you guys were going to be learning that? Not, not that one. Uh, it was another church I was talking to. A Triune Prayer just goes through, it's a prayer to the Father, the second verse, prayer to the Son, the third is a prayer to the Spirit. And somebody said, hey, that is, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us to pray to the Spirit. All right, normally we pray to the Father through Jesus, maybe enabled by the Spirit. But you understand, like, if, if we pray to the Spirit of God, Spirit of God, control me today. Sanctify me, change me, grow me. That's not idolatry. I mean, we almost are so focused on Christ that, that any mention of the Holy Spirit makes us nervous, maybe because we're afraid of Pentecostalism, but we, we have a God who is he's co-equal in power and glory, and, and we will worship them, Father, Son, and Spirit. So I love to sing songs that reflect that. We don't do that often enough. Uh, can you think of some songs that are Trinitarian? Just quickly. This will be, this will probably be the last thing we do before dinner. Holy, holy, holy. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. That, I mean, that's pretty specific. <laughs> that's a good one. All right, another one. Do you sing, I will praise him? Kind of a gospel song. I will praise him. I love the last verse. Glory, glory to the Father. Glory, glory to the Son. Glory, glory to the Spirit, glory to the three in one. When I was at Bob Jones, um, we would sing the Gloria Patri. First time they did it, it was a Sunday morning, pipe organ, robes. I was like, what, what is going on? And then we started singing, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, tis now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, amen. That's the 
Trinity being worshipped, and that song was written in the 4th or 5th century. It's a 1,500-year-old song. I, I love that we sing something old. You know, once in a while people tell me, like, I love the old hymns, like Gaither. And I'm like, he's still alive. That's not an old hymn. We, we got to do better at church history, by the way. I was preaching on Reformation Day about Luther, and somebody came up to me afterwards, talking about Martin Luther, said, I can't believe he did all that in Germany and led the civil rights movement in America. Yeah, that is a very different person. Yeah, we, we just got to do better. I love new hymns. I, I write new hymns. But man, I want to sing old hymns. You know, I, I feel cheated if I go through a, through a church service and every song was written in my lifetime. And, I, you know, it might be by me. It might be by the Gettys. It might be by Ron Hamilton. But if all we're singing is modern, then we're missing the riches of our heritage. You know, so when we sing, uh, when we sing, I mentioned All I Have Is Christ, a beautiful new song. But then we sing Be Thou My Vision. That's like a thousand years old. Sing that. Sing them both. And especially sing songs on the Trinity. There there are some others. uh, Some of them are organized. You don't even think about it. Um, But the first verse is to the Father, the second to the Son, the third to the Spirit. I'm I'm trying to think. um, Come Thou Almighty King. And then the second verse is, um, boy, the third verse is come Holy Comforter. The third verse is to the great one in three, eternal praises be. Or do you sing, um, there is a Redeemer? Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. All right, that's Trinitarian. Uh, Hymns of Grace is a new hymnal. Uh, from MacArthur and uh, Master's Seminary. Hymns to the Father in the, in the index, they have 93. How many songs to the Son do you think there are? 222. And that, that's about right. I mean, you've got Christmas, you've got Easter, you've got... That, I think that focus is fine. Anybody want to hazard a guess how many they have to the Holy Spirit? Four. Man, you are cynical. Seven. <laughs> Not many. Not many. And, and there should be more. Okay, so we, we want to sing things on purpose. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this last one. And I, I told you, you know what a pastor says in conclusion? You know what it means? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> last one is our song should be unifying. The Gettys in their little book on singing says, the true beauty of such a congregational choir is that our voices and our hearts are knit together in praise. It's exhilarating to be part of a body believer singing truth together. Um, our song should be unifying. This gets me back to that original idea. It shouldn't be a, a fight. You know, you don't like, there's a song you don't like and you just stand there like this. I'm not writing that. It's not 200 years old. I'm not singing. You know, you say, well, I don't like that song. You know what? Your favorite song somebody probably doesn't like. Instead of getting cantankerous and angry, it actually gives you a chance to love your church. You get to show deference by singing a new Getty song that might not be your favorite, but it's, it's biblically astute. It's not theology that stinks. It's just not your favorite. And then you want to sing, you know, in the garden. And, and there's some people that are like, I can't believe we're singing this. But to you, it's like, you know, it's meaningful. It's my relationship with the Lord. It was my grandma's favorite. And, and instead of splitting the church, instead of starting a fight, instead of starting an email campaign, you just say, you know what? We can all serve each other. We, we show deference to one another. We don't have to agree on everything. And we just say, you know what? Um, the young people in our church especially like some of the newer hymns. You know, there's, there's a lot of great hymns being written. There's a group, City of Light. They're writing some beautiful things. And, and you can learn those, but you say, but I still want us to sing Hallelujah, What a Savior. I still want us to sing, you know, um, Great is Thy Faithfulness, etc. Yeah, do it. But instead of getting angry, you, you can love each other and, 
and relax and put your focus Godward instead of just on your preferences. One thing our conservatism hasn't been helpful with is we're just ready to go to blows over everything. You know, you know that saying, uh, somebody's going to help me on this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, charity, something like that, and then um, in, in all things, I don't know, and it, but, but fundamentalists, we had a fourth one, in all caps, underlined, everything is essential. Yeah. <laughs> we only fight about the essentials, and that's everything! We don't want to be that way. Yeah, we, we can actually learn to have humility. We have, we have Bible chapters that tell us how to get along when we don't have exact lockstep agreement. You know, so breathe, relax. Within your doctrinal statement, if, if what you're doing is, is within your doctrinal statement, then, then just relax when they sing a song that's not your favorite. Don't scowl. Don't walk out. And then maybe the next one you're going to love it and somebody else is kind of putting up with your songs, and it's okay. I read a book and somebody said, nothing is as unifying as church music. And I laughed out loud, literally. I was like, <laughs> like you've gone to different churches than I have. I would say nothing has been so disunifying as, as church music. And I'm saying, you know, we need, we need to stop that. Uh, stop the worship wars and say, all right, let's, let's be committed to what Scripture says. Let's show some deference to one another. Even show deference to other churches that don't do it quite like we like. Our church was... In Ohio, we were at a parade, and there was another church, and on their float, you know, we're trying to do outreach, on their float, they had their praise band. And I remember one of our deacons looking at them, and it, it was like hatred in his eyes. You know, this is another Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, and, and he was looking at them with absolute hatred, like he wanted to burn their float down or something. And, and I get that. And at some point, we just have to say, all right, I love the sound of our church's music, and I don't, you know, I don't prefer the, the thump, thump, boom, boom of, of that other church. But if they preach the gospel, I can at least rejoice in that, and, and I'm not going to treat them like enemies. We, we could just be a little bit more kind and, uh, and, and not be so willing to go to blows on everything. All right. If that made you mad, we could talk about it later, or even better... <laughs> Talk to your new pastor. <laughs> All right, music is a great blessing from the Lord. I have this, I have this final. I keep telling you I'm done, and I, I keep not quitting. Um, I have this final statement. I'm going to read James Montgomery Boyce. Um, he's with the Lord now. He said, "Music is a gift from God that allows us to express our deepest heart responses to God." and His truth in meaningful, memorable ways. It is a case of our hearts joining with our minds to say yes, yes, yes to the truths we're embracing. That's three yeses, and he was a Presbyterian. That's about as excited as they're allowed to get. Our music's such a blessing, and it teaches us so well. So what? So fill your life with songs that will help you grow as a Christian. In your church, but also in your car, in your home, you know, use this gift of God uh, for his glory and for your own spiritual growth as well. All right, we went over. We'll take a full hour for dinner, and I'll shorten the next message. I know you don't believe it. Watch me. We'll see. <laughs> we'll stay. All right. I'm sorry? The psalm-like. I can. Um. The psalm, like, most of what I talked about is from Colossians 3.16, and then um, the second portion of the book is just saying the songs. The psalms, uh, I had a professor, Michael Barrett, he said, the psalms are a hymn book, but also a handbook. Like, they, they show us the kind of songs to sing. So, inspired songs, we should sing the psalms. Um, ancient and modern, that's saying we should sing from a variety of eras. The psalms started around 1500 B.C. when, when Moses was writing. They ended around 500 to 400 B.C. They were written over a thousand years. Our, our singing should reflect that kind of breadth. Uh, diverse songs, boy, I didn't get into this, but songs of lament. Songs of lament. Do you know how many of the psalms are sad? 
out of 150, how many of the songs are sad or complaining or confused? 60. 40, 40%. So we don't always sing, you know, now I am happy all the day. Really? You're happy all the day? Sometimes we need to sing, you know, when peace like a river attends my way and, and when sorrows like sea billows roll. There, there's times my heart is breaking. And, and we need songs that actually don't just kind of Pollyanna over life's problems. Uh, I had a professor, he's talking about the Psalms of Lament. He said, God gave us those to show us we're not crazy. You know, you're not the only person that gets down. And the Bible doesn't just tell you to be happy, happy, I've got the joy down in my heart where the Bible tells you sometimes you're allowed to sing like, God, I'm calling out to you and it feels like you're not answering. So we sing songs of lament from the Psalms. Um, you know, there's all your anxiety day by day. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord is a song of lament. Do you guys uh, use the song, um, Is He Worthy? The very first line says, do you feel the world is broken? We do. Songs of lament. Uh, Emotive songs we're going to talk about in the next session, so we're good there. Personal songs, we don't just sing about God, we sing about my God. Uh, There was a guy who criticized all these new songs for all their focus on me, my. The kicker is he was critiquing Um, I think he was critiquing Watts and Wesley because they didn't just talk about God. They talked about how God affected them. And no, we actually should sing songs that are about us with our relationship with God. Okay. Um, Personal songs, beautiful songs. Um, Scripture says that that we sing beautifully. We make music that's beautiful, Psalm 33.3. So with all these other considerations... (laughs) Most of my focus today has been on the words. And I haven't gotten into, you know, um, should you use the organ or should you be an organ donor? Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not particularly concerned about it. You know, although the, there is a breadth to the instrumentation that we see in Psalms, so we can be concerned about that. Um, but... I would say churches like ours have focused more on the sound and less on the doctrine. And I think the Bible actually deals more with the words. And I'm not saying that the the music doesn't matter. Obviously, it needs to be consistent with the words. Um, But it it can also be joyful, beautifully done. And uh, doxological just means it's all the glory of God, the doxology. It's it's God-focused. And uh, we could talk more about some of these things in the, uh, in the hour ahead. Right now, this is becoming a hostage situation. So <laughs> let's close, all right? Uh, should I pray for the food as well? Sure, uh, and there's one, um, there's a gray Toyota Sienna, I think, that they're sliding, your sliding door is open. So if you have a gray minivan, might wanna run out after we close here and uh, get that fixed, so. Awesome, all right, thank you, Lord, for the time we can spend in your word. And this is a topic that we care about. And uh, Lord, I confess, sometimes I've just not been very charitable about it. And uh, even with this grid, I don't want to be condemning or legalistic or arrogant. But Lord, we want to use this gift of yours to its full potential. And I pray for your help in doing that. And uh, I pray for unity around the person and work of Jesus Christ as we sing together to give him glory. Uh, Thank you that we can enjoy fellowship. We can enjoy the food that you've provided. um, And I pray for your blessing on the hour to come. Uh, Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.